0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
1: The Science of Sports podcast with Professor Ross Tucker and sports journalist Mike Finch.
0: a few days after the controversy around the Audria Tour, which was the tennis tournament that happened in Serbia and uh, the latest news from what I've just uh, seen on uh, the interwebs is that Novak Djokovic, who is the world number one I think at the moment, um, has admitted that he's now contracted COVID-19 and it's become one of the biggest stories I think in sport around this uh, COVID time that we've seen. And maybe an example, Ross Tucker, of of what not to do when you're trying to get your sport back on track during this time.
1: Yeah, how's it, Mike? I turned on the television about a week and a half ago and I saw some tennis. And, you know, for the last three months, sports channels have been showing repeats. And so I saw this and I thought, okay, that's a bit of an arbitrary repeat to be showing. I mean, why would you not show Wimbledon? Why are you showing me Djokovic Dimitrov in some local tournament? Couldn't believe... I couldn't believe when I discovered that that was actually not live, but it was a a highlights package of something that had happened that day. I mean, there were fans, there was a full assortment of umpires and officials, there were ball kids, there were promotional activities. (laughs) We've become, I mean, even in the last 12 weeks, I think the world has become attuned to risk aversion. And so maybe it was like by contrast, it just stood out as being so non-risk averse. But, if there are a handful of things that you should do to limit a exposure and b transmission of the virus, they did none of them. I mean look, like the only thing they could have done that they didn 't do to make it worse is they could have held some sort of event at an elderly care home that 's literally about the only thing <laughs> they didn 't do they They went through every single other thing that is worst practice in terms of trying to prevent or or, or to to not allow sports to be the trigger for a new small cluster and Obviously, because it's Djokovic, because it's the number one, because of his own history with vaccines and his attitude towards these things, it, it amplifies it uh, even more than it would have done otherwise. But just a, a really bad look, and more, more than a look now. You've got cases that have been created as a consequence of this, and this, these are not benign cases. It's a forgettable I mean, moment. It's
0: uh, terrible to see, I saw some of the footage that they were showing um, of d- doing, like, schools clinics for kids and all the parents uh, sort of standing around and in um, large groups of people. And, and you're right, there was something about it watching it where I was torn between this kind of sense of like, oh, well, there's a bit of hope because we've got some live sport going on here and maybe they've done the research and they've made sure that everybody is safe. But it did look like almost a, a, a crass in a way because it was just so blatant that they mm. were as, as if this thing didn't exist. One uh, what, what of the questions I think that I, I've asked about this is that surely somebody somewhere should have said we need to be more cautious. I mean, why why do you think they went ahead with this event um, when they knew that there were the risks were high, or did they not know the risks were high?
1: Well, I mean, they know what the, you can calculate. Well, no, let me let me backtrack on that. You can make a reasonable estimation of the risk if you know what the prevalence of that condition is in the region you're going into Um, the analogy i'd use is imagine you're driving your car towards a busy intersection and you decided recklessly to close your eyes and just keep going come what may if you did that at five o'clock in the afternoon there's a really good chance you're going to hit someone or something or be hit by someone and it's going to end in a bad situation if you did that at one o'clock in the morning you're probably going to be you'd you'd probably consider yourself unlucky if there happened to be a car in that intersection at the same time as you. And so the point I'm trying to make is that you can assess risk based on the number of cases you know there to be. Now at some point in the planning of this event, uh, this little tour through the the Adriatic region, someone has to have told Djokovic that the risk is so low that we can go ahead with it, no problem. Now that's that's the root cause of the issue here because how have they assessed that risk? There are, Ways you can do it. And Serbia, to be fair, where it began in Belgrade, has got a relatively low case number. Uh, on the 13th of June, I was looking this up, they had 650 known COVID cases in a population of 7 million people. So we're talking one in 10,000. Yeah. If you want to be a little bit more aggressive, you'd say, okay, for every known case, there are three or four more that you don't know about. So maybe your, your true prevalence is something like one in 2,000 one in 4,000, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So so someone's looked at that and said, that risk is so low that we're gonna proceed with this because the likelihood that you Novak, Gregor, uh, whoever else was in that, your your support staff, is so low that we're gonna go ahead because I mean, there's more chance that you're gonna have a car accident than this. The problem is that when you then add that to the fact that now you're gonna expose these people to thousands of, thousands of spectators, thousands of officials, I mean, they're staying in hotels, I would shudder to think how many people Djokovic and Dimitrov engaged with over the course of those three or four days. It could literally be a thousand engagements with different people in different contexts. And then they went to a nightclub. Did you see that? (laughs) They They went out in Belgrade to a nightclub. Now you could not, you would be hard pressed to design a circumstance or a situation that is more likely to spread a virus than a nightclub because you've got people in a tight enclosed indoor space. It's highly dense. You've been in nightclubs yourself if you want to be heard you have to shout at someone face to face i mean can yeah. you imagine and they're not wearing masks you can imagine what's happening there with the risk of transmission so even if your even if your risk of exposure is small your risk of transmission is enormous and yeah. that's why people looked at this and said something's not right here and this is a this is an uncomfortable situation and it would be wrong to say that they got unlucky but they would have needed to be lucky not to have a case. And they weren't lucky, and therefore it's a controversy.
0: So let's talk about the the sort of the triumvirate of circumstances. You you touched a bit on the sort of, I know you've been consulting with many different sports bodies in South Africa and around the world, around the protocols around this. So there's proximity, there's the time that you spend with somebody, there's Mm. also the mask wearing and the eye shield wearing. Just Mm. talk us about through... The, the things they didn't do, that if you were running this event, let's say you were you, you was told you had to run the event, what, what could they have done differently to potentially mitigate or should they not sure. have run the event at all?
1: all? Right, so from first principles, the three risk factors based on the contact tracing studies that have now started to come out, and there are now dozens of these. There's an outbreak in a call centre in South Korea. There's an outbreak in a Washington state after a choir practice. There's a restaurant in China, there's cases in Spain. So the collection of research evidence has now led to the understanding that there are three things that increase the risk. They are proximity, i.e. the closer you and I are together, the more risk there is that I, as an active carrier, will infect you. There's duration. So in other words, if we pass one another in a shopping mall for two seconds, your risk is extremely low. If we stand and talk for two minutes, It goes up, and by 15 minutes, that's what the World Health Organization has said is the highest risk. And then there's the confined environment. So it appears that outdoor transmission is much, much less likely. There was a study in Japan that showed that you were 19 times more likely to transmit the virus indoors than out for the same of the other two factors. So you can imagine a Venn diagram. You know, three overlapping circles, proximity, duration, confined environment. And where those three intersect is where your risk is highest. Now, for the purpose of sport, I would add a fourth one, which is to say high droplet spread activities, because we now know that this virus is spread through water droplets that are then breathed or coughed or sneezed or shouted into the air. They then persist in the air for a period of time, and that's how they infect other people. So when we think about high droplet activities, we're thinking about sport. Why? Because people are ventilating at much higher rates. Your, your minute ventilation is a hundred liters a minute compared to addressed when it's five to seven liters per minute. So you're far more likely to have those droplets in the air in that context, uh, shouting and singing. The, the study in Washington found that 61 people went to choir practice. One of them had it two weeks later, 52 cases because they're because in they a tight fifth. Sorry.
0: Because they were singing.
1: So yeah. They're singing. singing. they They're close to one another for a long time, singing, projecting, spreading droplets. 87% attack rate. Uh, Korean fitness class had a 26% attack rate from these indoor dance aerobics type classes. So those are the circumstances that you wish to avoid. So when we look at this tennis event in, in, in Belgrade now, we're saying, okay, you've got large groups of people. You've got crowds that are attending it. You're posing them for photographs where you've got 20 people hugging and standing together in one photograph frame. That's proximity violation, <laughs> duration yeah. violation, because they're there watching games for hours at a time. Now, the only saving grace is that most of this happens outdoors. So yeah. had this been an indoor thing, now we're talking super high risk, but at least it's outdoors. But then you, then you look at the, the satellite things, the hotel space that they're sharing, the, uh, the, the infamous Belgrade nightclub. Now you've got an indoor spot with proximity duration and high droplet spread. So it, it really ticks all the boxes for the four risk factors. And that's why they would have had to be lucky to avoid it. So what they should have done is had, and again, like Serbia, as I said, it's got it's literally looking at like one in 5,000 cases. So maybe you can argue that they could have had crowds, but 50%, like social distance in the crowds, sell every third seat, not every second or every seat. Uh, those photo ops are just such bad looks. They're such choke points. They're such high-risk activities. The nightclub thing shouldn't happen at all. So they violated the fundamental principles in holding the sports event. So it's not per se the sport. It's the stuff they did around it that let them down and exposed people to those risks. I mean, and I'm interested. I'll track it. uh, How many cases Serbia reports over the course of the next two, three weeks? Because there will be a small spike. Hopefully it's only a small one.
0: So, I mean, we know that uh, the US Open, for instance, have announced that they're going to go ahead with their event, but it's going to be two spectatorless uh, stadiums. And obviously, there's a huge amount of protocols for the players themselves and all that sort of thing. So, they're probably taking a much more responsible um, role in this. And we can still watch the tennis on television, even though we can't, they can't hear us cheering. Mm-hmm. But is it so? What you're saying is that to some extent, if you, if you, can, you can limit the, the risk by doing all the right stuff, um, but ideally, what the US Open is doing is probably the like, the most conservative, safest way of doing something. Have an yeah. event, just keep the spectators out of there for the moment until we can clear this thing.
1: Which is what you've seen in European football. I mean, English Premiership matches, you, you hear crowds, but they're not crowds. They're <laughs> synthesized by a sound engineer, sometimes inappropriately, which is quite humorous. <laughs> uh, Spain, it's the same thing around the world. Uh, the only exception was New Zealand, and that's because when they started their Super Rugby, they, they didn't have a case. Uh, they've since had nine or 10 new cases that they've picked up in quarantine situations, but they still believe that the community has not a single active COVID case. So then it's, then it's zero risk. So the model that I would use, and, and this is to simplify it for people, is, is a progression here because you first have to have an active case. Then that person has to transmit the virus and then the virus has to do its thing and cause the disease outcomes, potentially fatalities. So if you want to manage the risk, there's two things you can control. Is number one is, how likely am I to encounter a case? Now, that is a function of two things. Number one, and I mentioned this, is the prevalence of that condition in the community. Is it one in 1,000? Is it one in 100? Or is it one in 10? Because obviously, yeah. if it's one in 10, then you want to avoid everyone. If it's one in a 1,000, you might reassess your, your risk assessment. And then the other thing that it is affected by is how many people am I exposed to? So when I go to a coffee shop, a restaurant, a shopping mall, or a gym or a sports event, how many people share that space with me? Now, exposure doesn't mean transmission. So once we've established what the risk of exposure is, we can now talk about how likely am I to get it from that person. And that's a function of the things we just spoke about. In addition now to, to wearing masks to bring that down, it seems... But as the days go by, there is more and more evidence that masks are effective. Now, they might not be 100% effective, but then no one's claimed that. But the evidence seems to suggest that masks can significantly reduce the risk. And again, I watch this uh, tennis and no one's wearing them. Well, I watch the football and the substitutes sitting on the bench are wearing them. The officials are wearing them. So it's just you can do the same thing in a different way and you completely shift the risk dynamic. And they didn't do it. And that's why they're paying with their, with their reputations. And Djokovic didn't have the greatest reputation to begin with on this stuff because of his anti-vax views. And he's been doing, I don't know, did you see some of the stuff he's done during lockdown? He is interviewed people on this mind. What was the name? Let me tell you exactly what it was called. uh, the, The self mastery project. And he spoke among other things about how you can change the molecular structure of water with your emotions. And as everyone looks at this, ha-ha, that's kooky, what a weird idea. Well, at some point, kookiness becomes lethal, you know? So by all means, take up juggling and juggle knives in your own living room because it's your fingers and your toes. But when you start throwing knives at other people, now it's a societal issue and it suddenly becomes less funny and more dangerous, and that's where we are.
0: So final question, and uh, for those of you that are following us and supporting us on Patreon, you're obviously going to be able to see this first. A big thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. We uh, certainly enjoy your support and thank you for your support. Um, we'd like to give you a bit of a shout-out on our bonus episodes and our main episodes. This is one of our bonus episodes that we're doing. But, uh, Ross, my final question, and I think you and I have admittedly always say that our passions, our sport our sport passions lie primarily in the running and cycling space, even though we have a lot of interest in other sports. But when I think about this, I think what are the implications of what happened at the RJ for events like the Tour de France that are happening supposedly in August. What do they have to do? And I sit there and I think about a peloton of 150 riders going up a climb when they're all, they're definitely not going to be wearing face masks and they're going to be hanging around each other a lot during a race. Is this the kind of thing that could potentially make or set a bad example so that a Tour de France might be forced to say, actually, there's too much risk?
1: Not good has, I mean, this has already happened. The only surviving marathon in the US at the moment is Chicago because just overnight, I don't know whether you saw this, but the New York marathon was canceled. Yeah. And they canceled it because they initially went from the big mass participation event, you all know where you've got thousands of people running over the bridge. I mean, everyone's seen that footage. They said, all right, what we'll do is we'll make it elite athletes only. So again, we're, we're gonna reduce the size and the density so we can reduce proximity and exposure but now they've said that they're so concerned that they will be unable to keep the crowds away, that they decided that it's not worth it. That combined with the fact they didn't know whether they'd be able to get international runners there. So the New York Marathon is gone. The, uh, the Boston Marathon is gone. So really it's just Chicago. Uh, sorry, Berlin is gone. So these-, these yeah, Boston, are, Boston. Cape Town Marathon is also gone. Cape Town Marathon is gone. So it's very difficult when you see that example of what's happening there, in the absence of counterexamples, So in the last couple of weeks, for instance, the whole world has had its attention on the US, in fact, globally, on the protests around Black Lives Matter, because those protests are bringing massive groups of people together as well. Now, admittedly, a lot of them are at least wearing masks and they might not be as dense and they're outdoors. But what's happening in the US now is we're seeing an uptick in the number of cases. And so there is no, no counter example to suggest that these crowds are safe. And people have become so risk-averse that I just just can't see these sports events happening when they are unable to ensure that there's no gathering of people in public places. So that's the sad reality that I think has begun to emerge. You know, two weeks ago, there was a degree of optimism because the the release of lockdown hadn't yet caused an increase despite the fact that people were. But uh, it seems to me that public gatherings that violate the proximity, duration, and potentially outdoor, indoor policies or principles are so high risk that we're going to have to resign ourselves to the fact that they are highly unlikely to go ahead.
0: Well, we're certainly going to keep an eye on uh, the developments, not only in the odd turn what happens as a result of that, but how other events are going to respond to what happened there as well. And I think mm. the repercussions of this are going to be way beyond uh, just what happened um, at that tennis event. But it's uh, very sad news. And I think for those of you who love sports, of, of which most of you, listen to our podcast uh, probably do. Um, We really want to see the sport back, but we want to see sport back in a safe way. And I think uh, Arjit was an example of how not to do it. Exactly. Vincent Rostocker, thanks so much for your time. And uh, this is one of our bonus episodes on the Real Science of Sport podcast. We'll be sending out a couple of these over the next couple of weeks. And we have a big podcast coming out in about uh, six days' time from now. Goodbye for now.
1: Follow the Science of Sport Podcast at Sports Sci-Pod and on Instagram at Science of Sport Podcast. Hold up.